There are a lot of businesses right now that are adjusting their offices and tightening their real estate costs as they shift to meet this explosion in flexible working. So when office markets are turning undisputedly in their favour, what exactly are all the options businesses have to choose from? Or better still, which of those options will help them get the best out of their workforce and agree with their balance books? Here are two people that are helping businesses do just that. Jess Van Ray, I'm a director in the JLL Tenant Representation Team based out of Melbourne. Um, I've been working at JLL for 13 years, advising corporate and government occupiers on their leasing requirements. Dirk Van Velden from JLL Tenant Rep here in Brisbane, uh, have been with JLL for just over 10 years now, originally started in leasing and then about seven years ago uh, switched over to our tenant occupier advisory business. Uh, Similar to Jess, working with a range of corporate, private and government organisations. I'm Rebecca Kent, host of this JLL Perspectives podcast. With the help of Dirk and Jess, we're covering how businesses are weighing up their office options for a perfect fit even when the future is so ridiculously hard to predict. Jess, I'll start with you. What does it mean when the market is favouring the tenant or favourable to the tenant? What are we seeing play out? How is that different to what we've seen um, sort of fairly recently in the past? Yeah, sure. So when the market's in the tenant's favour, you can really find that tenants have the opportunity to sort of take the upper hand in the lease negotiation. Uh, The market conditions um, for a a landlord, you know, they might have higher vacancy, they might have expiry profiles that their building is going to, um, you know, potentially, you know, have longer letting up periods and they'd be wanting to hang on to tenants as well. So if a tenant um, sits back and can assess what's playing out in their market um, and I guess use that to their opportunity in their planning time um, to allow enough time for a more strategic negotiation. Um, there's really great opportunity for tenants to, to secure, you know, far more tenant favourable terms, um, not just going into a lease, but also um, for the course of that whole lease. So if it's a five or seven year commitment, um, you know, we want to help tenants capture the tenant favourable items along that journey of the lease. It's not just getting a great deal at the start. Yeah, so to what extent are you seeing that and have you been able to to leverage those favourable conditions? Well, look, the last, you know, 12, 18 months, I mean, if we look back to the end of 2019, you know, even Melbourne vacancy was sitting around the sort of 6% mark. It's pretty well doubled that during COVID. Um, There's been a lot of corporates, you know, pull out of office space altogether or they're yet to even return to work. Um, We've also seen a lot of sublease space enter the market. So landlords are not only got direct space to deal with, but they're also competing with their own tenants and occupiers who are looking to offload their lease obligations and, you know, potentially at a far more discounted rate than what a landlord would be be looking to achieve um, on a direct basis. So that's all playing into, um, you know, the advantage of the tenant at the moment because um, landlords are looking to hold on to what tenants they have as well as, um, you know, mitigate their 
their vacancy and expiry profiles into the future. So what I guess COVID has done for a tenant as well, just to sort of go further, is um, tenants are able to get far greater lease flexibility. Um, you know, traditionally five, seven, ten-year lease terms were were sort of expected for a tenant going in, but you know now it's three-year leases. Um, expansion and contraction rights are far easier to achieve um, in a in a post-COVID world. Um, because, you know, right now occupiers are probably thinking, I can't even look three months ahead, let alone what's my my office requirement going to be in three or five years. Dirk, is that what you're finding? Some of the challenges, tenants are finding it difficult, as Jess was saying, just to know quite how things are going to pan out in the next three to five years? Yeah, I think so. Um, certainly some of the larger occupiers that we're talking to, that that is a challenge to look even three years in advance. And these are typically groups that would come to market three to five years before their lease expiry because they're normally in the pre-commitment market. Um, so that's going to be a challenge in terms of when they look to activate and for them to form a view as to what their office footprint and how they're going to use it looks like longer term. I think for you know, some of our, when I say smaller occupiers, I'd say probably the sub thousand square metre market, I think that's going to be fairly active. And the reason for that up here in Brisbane is we've got a mix of, I guess, good quality fitted options, um, landlords have gone and built out spec fit-outs as well. So they've been cre- pretty competitive on those lease deals. And we've had one, uh, I guess, engineering client who recently, uh, they did reduce their footprint as a result of COVID. Um, now, the original, I guess, deal for this particular building was on a whole floor. They didn't need the whole floor anymore. So the landlords come up with a deal structure where we take probably about three quarters of the floor, so 500 square metres of a 650 square metre floor plate, uh, but we've got basically a fit-out to be delivered for them by the landlord, an additional incentive as rent abatement to reduce the rental cost, uh, and then additional flexibility so we can break the lease after end of year three with no penalty. And we've got a first row refusal over the balanced tenancy that's going to be left behind on that floor in case the growth that they're looking f- to achieve comes through. So a lot of flexibility for that particular client. What are the things that businesses are unsure about specifically? Is it how the economy is going to go, the headcount of their workforce, what working styles are going to evolve? Well, I think that's industry-specific. So some industries, as a result of COVID, um, have probably performed really well and others are lagging a little bit, I'd say. Um, So it's really dependent on that user. Um, I think it's more about how they're going to use the space longer term. Um, Some businesses aren't even fully back in the office yet, and that's state-by-state based impact as well. Um, I know for some of our clients here in Brisbane, they're US-based, and the the direction from that particular headquarters is don't come back into the office, regardless of what our, I guess, flexibility or movements are like within the state. Um, Melbourne, obviously, is slightly different in terms of its timing and impacts, but... um, yeah, I think that, that is a challenge to plan. And the other thing that comes into it is how the staff view that re-entry into the workforce, because some organisations have found that more challenging than others to convince their staff to actually come back to the office. Talking to some of my clients um, over the last couple of weeks that have got expiries into next year and the year after, it's so relevant for them. But the challenge is um, you know, last week they could have they could accommodate 300 people at 50% or 75%, and um, their swipe cards are showing 10 people are, are turning up. You know, at the moment, so um, 
it's really, you know, their, their biggest challenge is how do they entice people back. Um, in Melbourne, you know, I think there's, you know, everyone's probably a little bit traumatised after our extended lockdown. Uh, we had a snap lockdown a few weeks ago. Um, so I think, you know, there is a real nervousness um, across, you know, the general population. that We don't want to go back to that. Um, but it's how can they demonstrate and celebrate people coming back in to try and get that confidence. Um, you know, I think a lot of the data and research out there is showing, you know, it's around that 70% percentage do want to return to the um, office in some capacity, but then it leads to this, um, you know, the hybrid working style of, okay, I'm going to come in two or three days a week. Is everyone going to be in the office on Tuesday or Wednesday? How do they manage the space? Um, then you've got low occupancy on maybe a Monday or a Friday. That leads into the weekend. Um, so, you know, human behaviour is really hard to predict right now. Um, and I think, you know, for the tenants who are going to reinvest in their office fit out or are able to make a move um, in the coming years, um, you know, a lot of that um, office occupancy and data utilisation is going to be a real key part. So um, embracing technology um, so then they can start to monitor who's coming in. Um, that could then feed back to facilities management on um, cleaning requirements and then, you know, managing heating and cooling because that's a big cost, you know, what you've got all the, the air con going and you've got 10 people. So, um, you know, that's hard to justify. So that's another um, longer-term savings and environmental piece that tenants will be able to look at. Jake, tell me, where do you start, you know, if you've got a tenant going? I don't feel like we're making the, the most out of the space we've got. We recognise that there are some better opportunities out there for us. Um, you know, how do you choose between, say, subleasing space, surrendering a lease altogether, um, just tell me the process you go through in weighing up which is the best option. I think it comes down to, oh, there's, there's many things that come into play. Um, I mean, to decide to sublease space, you need to know that you've got excess space to, to give away effectively and that it's easy to do. Um, I think some groups fall into traps of, of saying, well, my, half my floor is empty, I need to try and sublease it without fully understanding the costs involved. So, you know, leasing it on an effective rent rate is one thing. But then the cost to split the floor, um, separate the services, then potentially give another contribution to make that space work for another tenant. When they're looking for, or they, they will probably be looking at spec fit out space in the market or other sublease options, it's it's just not as simple as that. I think for us, um, with our clients, when we look at the broader picture, it's always about what is their core requirement moving forward and then coming up with a strategy from there. Um, and, and I think as a team nationally, that's what we certainly look at is to look at the core requirement first and then come up with a plan from there. Um, I think flex space is, is certainly an option for many groups, um, particularly those who are really struggling to look longer term. So that's where the you know, six month, nine month, 12 month commitment comes in. Um, but we also find that that's typically a bit more expensive than potentially doing a 12 month renewal with your existing client or existing landlord. Um, we have had a couple of clients, I guess, since um, the pandemic hit who have done 12-month extensions. Um, we've also had those that have 
done a renewal on five years to maximise the incentive available. Um, they're carrying a bit of excess space, probably about 20 to 30 percent, but their view is that they can use that space a bit differently, use a, put a little bit of capex into it to rejig the fit out a little bit, um, but then look to grow into that over the five-year term. And again, coming back to that, yeah, having flexibility in the lease as well. So it gives them many options to think about, but I think it all comes back to you know, the, the strategy or the core requirement um, before you go down one path or another. And is as part of that core requirement, or is it always to, to save money um, in this environment? Is that always the desired outcome? Not necessarily. Um, and again, I think um, what we've seen over the last 12 months is everyone's looking at this in a different way. Um, so some groups, yes, certainly, cost is at the forefront and it's hard to ignore it when you know, your office space may be sitting there and you're not utilising it. And I think for those groups who are struggling to entice their staff to come back to the office, that's probably playing on their minds a bit more than others. Um, but we've also got some clients who are now looking at this as an opportunity to reduce footprint, um, use it more efficiently, but actually go and build a new fit out that is um, in line with their strategy of a new way of working. Um, so I think it's going to be a mixed approach, um, but there's certainly groups out there that are looking to reset the business with a new fit out as well. So it's not just about cost savings, um, it's about what the business looks like longer term. Also, just even on the subleasing consideration for tenants is, you know, the tenant then becomes a landlord in itself. So are they prepared to deal with, you know, monthly rent collections, maintenance requests that are going to come through? And I think, you know, they would you know, it's important that whoever they sublease to, that they're comfortable with, that they're they're going to become an easy solution rather than a, than a headache for the balance of their lease terms. So, um, you know, there's a lot of weighing up, um, you know, is it just cost recovery and we can deal with the, the administration that goes with subleasing um, or, you know, again, that's where we can also look at surrender opportunities so it's a clean exit so um, you know that's often preferred over over the sublease anyway but yeah typically the tenants have to go and find the replacement tenant to introduce them to the landlord in that scenario. It must be a very good time to be a tenant representative um, given the federal market conditions for tenants at the moment. Are you finding that um, landlords are being willingly flexible um, I'd say majority, yes, but again, it's case by case because, you know, we deal with a broad range of landlords. So you'll have commercial institutional landlords that um, probably going to be more open to these sorts of discussions. Um, when you're dealing with private high net worth families, it can be a different story. So, um, you know, they might have other motivations, um, you know, and what they want to do with you know, their family investments um, and they they might not be quite there in terms of uh, coming to the table on the lease negotiations. It also comes down to the vacancy exposure of that landlord. You know, we might be dealing with, call it again, a 500 square metre tenant in a 30,000 square metre 30, tower. The landlord's got 12,000 square metres of vacancy coming up in the next you know, 12 to 18 months. So they're going to be doing whatever they can to retain their tenant pool. Um, and I think valuation impact has come into play as well. We certainly know that valuers are putting a longer letting up period on any vacancy that comes back to the building. So 
we're certainly seeing that more with the institutions in terms of the flexibility on the deals. Um, up here in Brisbane, some privates in the CBD, I think they'll they'll meet the market, but they certainly won't go beyond um, to try and secure a tenant. And I think that just comes back to the mindset that it's their personal cash flow investment. Um, they're not wedded by share price impacts or valuation impacts. It's more about the cash flow. Okay, so if I'm a tenant in the market, I'm, I'm sort of looking to, to change things up a bit um, or make the most of what's going on. What, um, at the very least, can I expect uh, um, to negotiate? That perhaps might have been tricky pre-COVID. You might be asking us to give away all our secret special powers, Beck. Um, <laughs> but no, I think... Um, you know, there's there's a, a, a handful of key items um, that tenants should be looking at and, um, you know, front of mind to me is the lease flexibility part because, you know, we're, we are in uncertain times and, you know, seven 10-year lease commitments, um, you know, they're going to be pretty... Um, pretty scarce these days going forward when, um, yeah, we've just got this hybrid working style and trying to manage the space. Um, you know, I think it's also what can the landlord provide me in terms of third spaces, places where I can bring my team together to collaborate or do a town hall meeting, um, you know, better wellbeing spaces to help entice my staff back to the office. So that goes beyond just the end of trip, you know, shower, bike facilities, you know, I think um, landlords creating a more welcoming, um, you know, environment that's going to have better air quality, outdoor spaces, um, you know, spaces to decompress, you know, and, and you know, reflect on your day or have some quiet time. You know, people have been able to work from home on their deck or in their backyard or whatever that might be. So how can my landlord help me entice my people back? Um and then obviously there are the key commercial items like rent reviews that should be looked at, um, make good obligations on the way out. Um, you know, they're all things that form part of the overall package. I think Jess has covered it pretty well. Um, and we've got to be careful not to overpromise and underdeliver. But um, I think, yeah, the flexibility is a key thing. It's, it's certainly coming through a lot more frequently now in terms of the negotiations that we're seeing and, and the willingness from the landlord to, to give it to the to the occupier. Um, and I mean, it, it really depends on how much flexibility you need. Um, I, I, the other piece of advice I'd probably say as well is to not go into a negotiation thinking that's what we're going to do. Um, I think um, what we've seen is people are willing to consider different scenarios and to you know, maybe go in one direction versus another. And I think that's that's a good reflection because, um, as we were touching on before, some landlords will kind of negotiate in one way and, and others will push in another direction. So um, we, we're certainly seeing up here that some landlords are giving away bigger deals on three-year lease terms um, because they're banking on the market recovering um, by that stage, whereas others are looking for longer lease terms. So they'll give away a bigger deal on that. Uh, so I think it's... Yeah, if we if if our clients are looking to move, um, which they're not always going to do, but if they're looking to move, it's to look at fundamentally which is the best building for us, which is the one we want, and then looking at the landlord's drivers to come up with the best strategy, get the best deal. Okay, great. And and for tenants to get as close to, as possible to 
what might come, um, you know, in the short to medium term. Presumably they should be thinking about the demographics of their workforce, um, where they're travelling from, I guess, the kind of amenities they'd like to be located close to any other, you know, and the way they'd like to work. I think it's pretty hard still to predict, Beck, because, you know, what we hear if if there's this hybrid model and I'm an employee, I don't mind my train commute if I'm only doing it two or three days or equally, I don't mind sitting in peak hour traffic if I'm only doing it two or three days. I don't have that grind. So I, tenants are really, you know, still trying to um, capture all of those requirements. So, you know, the public transport's still really key, as is the, you know, uh, great road connectivity, um, but even like smart parking, like that's going to be another thing where the technology comes in and that the employee experience, I'm going to come in today, I want to be able to book a car space, I want to book my desk, I don't want to come in and then it's too hard for me. I'm, I may as well just go work from home. So, um, you know, it's, it's trying to capture all of those things and, you know, are they, uh, is the w- worker, I'm going to leave at three so I can pick up my kid from school or I've got other care responsibilities so I'm only going to come in in the middle of the day or, you know, it's just going to be very fluid but hard to predict. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, I think the other topical conversation at the moment is the hub and spoke model um, to, I guess, work in with the work from home piece. And my personal opinion is that the hub and spoke um, could work down in Sydney and Melbourne. I don't think it's really there for Brisbane, only because if you look at our markets, the geographical spread, we've got our CBD and all our core near city markets, uh, Fortage Valley, South Brisbane, Milton, they're pretty much right next to the CBD. So, yeah, if you're going to go to those locations, you might as well come into the CBD if you're looking for um, a core location. Um, now, there are groups that are choosing to be based in Fortitude Valley or South Brisbane, um, but I think the hub and spoke um, will be a bit of a challenge here in Brisbane. That's JLL's Jessica Van Ray and Dirk Van Velden there, who are representing office tenants at a time that is both really interesting for the huge changes happening in the way we work and exciting for the unprecedented office leasing deals being negotiated. I'm Rebecca Kent, host of this JLL Perspectives podcast. If you like what you're hearing, hit the follow or subscribe button on whatever app you're listening to me on right now, and you'll get a ping when our next episode drops. To get in contact with Dirk or Jess, find this episode at www.jll.com.au forward slash perspectives dash podcast and you can drop them a line there. Catch you next time.